Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisper podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisper, and today is January 31st, and this is episode, I think, 27. We've been cranking through these, and I'm starting to lose track. I have two guests on the show today. I'm very pleased to have them. We have longtime uh, Kickstarter, uh, experienced Kickstarter extraordinaire, Phil Kilcrease. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. And we have a first-time game designer, uh, Gr uh, Grant, I'm going to try to get your name right, Rodaic. How'd I do? Correct. Perfect. Good job. Grant Rodaic. And the game that you guys are bringing into Kickstarter tomorrow, or it'll be today when people, uh, when the show goes live, is Farmageddon. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, excellent. Let's start with Phil. Phil, you have had some success with Kickstarter over the, the long history of Kickstarter. <laughs> which is about 10 months, uh, yes. you've brought out, this is your third Kickstarter project. Briefly, just describe your first two. Um, the first two were uh, Castle Dash, which was also a game crafter title. Um, and that goal was about 5,000, and we hit that. And then the second game was Crow in the Pitcher, a light trick-taking game uh, by Sean McDonald, the guy who did Pastiche, and we hit our goal of 1,000. Okay. And those were done under your game uh, publishing house. And what's the name of that? The name of that is Fifth Street Games. Okay. And so this is your third title? You have, this will be your third title under Fifth Street Games? That's correct. Okay, Grant, uh, tell us about Farmageddon. This is a uh, project you've been working on for quite a while. Yeah, I started working on Farmageddon um, about 14 months ago. I wanted to make a simpler game. My first attempt at a board game was just this complicated mess, um, and I wanted to make something simpler, and I was also looking at the Facebook game Farmville, actually, and I was like, I bet I can make a better version of Farmville. So I added competition, um, and I added a little bit of take that. Um, and so basically the premise of the game is that there are three shared planting fields. You have to plant one of four types of crops. Um, the easier the crops are to harvest, uh, they give you fewer points. The more difficult they are to harvest, um, the more points they give you. The trick is that you cannot harvest them the turn they're planted, which means you sort of have to uh, run the gauntlet. You have to go through the valley of death with your fellow farmers. Um, but it's not just a straight-out, like, uh, haymaker fest. Um, there's a little bit of subtlety, um, some combos with different cards. And basically the gist of the game is you want to use two action cards per turn, and there's 12 of them total. And you want to use the best cards to sort of uh, give yourself the best chance of succeeding. You're basically trying to hedge your bet such that you harvest more often than your opponents or prevent them from harvesting. Okay. And so this game, you when you designed this and brought it out. Um, now I haven't played, uh, I haven't played the Farmville on uh, on Facebook, but I do own the Farming game, which is one of my favorite games. Uh, which I think that farming is a is a fun theme because it's 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 got some elements that we all kind of hark back to of nostalgia. You spent some time though playtesting this uh, by putting this out into the public, right? Yeah, the initial thing, I was a bit naive, but I put it on GameCrafter. I thought it was ready to go, and it was great after, you know, about a month or two of testing with, you know, friends and things like that. And the game did incredibly well on GameCrafter. In fact, it was the number one selling game of all time on GameCrafter, and I took in, you know, feedback from 100-plus people. Um, unfortunately, not as much of that feedback was positive as I'd like it to be, and so I decided to take the game off and just really dive deep and sort of go for, I wanted to get a publisher, sort of like my all-or-nothing Hail Mary pass. And so I've spent many, many months now just polishing it, refining it, 
sending out blind test copies to people on board Game Geek, just trying to get as much feedback to make it as good as possible. And so, Phil, this is kind of where you came in. You, uh, how did you take a look at, at uh, Farmageddon and see that this was something you wanted to, to put under the Fifth Street Games brand? Uh, well, actually, I ended up running into Grant on Twitter. There's a small coterie of us running around talking just smack and game design. And um, I've had a look at a few of his other rule sets and offered some feedback and finally got a chance to not only read the rules for, but also play Farmageddon. And it's like, well, this, this is a perfect fit. The artwork's great. It a, has a whimsical feel to it. It's exactly what, what I'm aiming for. Let's do it. Okay. And so now, now here you go. You're about to launch a Kickstarter campaign tomorrow. Tell me the process that the, the two of you, because you've kind of both had to work on this. So I'm going to open this up to whichever one of you want to answer. What was the process to bring this to Kickstarter? Okay. Uh, um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and start and uh, go ahead and interrupt you if you want. Um, the, the, the first thing was just making sure uh, the cards were in a more final state. Of the, that most of the artwork was done. It had been. We have a couple of pieces that still need to be done, but they're going to be done well in time. And we had to create ads. Well, let, me ask, uh, let me ask you a quick question. When you say cards sure. in final state, are you just referring to the artwork, or what are you referring to? Uh, artwork and then just some minor tweaks and pokes to actual gameplay. Uh, yeah, text just, on the cards, balance. Okay. And then... Uh, Artwork seems to be the make or break of most of the projects that I'm watching on on, uh, on Kickstarter. Tell me about the process you went through to make sure that you had the right artwork for this. Go ahead. I'll take this one. Did you? Yeah. When I first started doing Farmageddon, I thought um, naively that it would be easier to get a publisher if I had amazing artwork. Um, and so I, I work in the digital game industry and I know a lot of artists and, uh, one of my friends recommended a guy named Brett Dean who lives down in Pasadena, California. He's a professional artist. And, um, I worked with him and paid out of pocket to, um, just make just outstanding art. I just didn't want to settle. And so as a result, we have outstanding art. Now granted, that didn't necessarily help long term with the publishing. Um, although it did work out in the end with, uh, Phil here, but, um, it was basically a matter of uh, picking really good ref and a really good style, and we sort of picked this sort of 1930s Dust Bowl era propaganda style for things, and it's really colorful. Um, you know, the, the crops have faces on them and personality, and they've really become characters, and a lot of people just have uh, really responded well to the art over the, you know, the past year. Phil, you want to come in on that? Uh, yeah, that's, that is one of the things that really hooked me. The art is just very appealing, and it didn't need any additional work. I'm, I'm very much of the mind that the industry is in flux right now, and one of the things that is going to change to benefit the designer is things will go to press much more quickly with things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, where you can't sit on a game for a year and not even contact the designer and like, oh, no, I'm not interested. No, you're going to have to have a fast turnaround, and that's part of my philosophy. So, so let's talk about that then. This kind of gets off the, the topic here. Um, this idea of the way it used to be before Kickstarter and now how Kickstarter has changed the way these games are coming to market. So um, what you're saying is, is that, for example, olden days, you know, a year ago, 18 months ago, Grant, you would have had this game and then you would have had to shop it around to a publisher, right? Or did you try shopping it around to a publisher? 
I've been shopping it to publishers uh, for a long time. Sometimes people liked it, but they already had another game coming out. Um, you know, for example, I sent it to Game Right, and they seemed to like it, but they have a game called The Big Tomato Game coming out this year. And I was like, well, dang it, <laughs> they already have a farming game. Uh, sometimes the game was too early. You know, I sent the game uh, arguably prematurely to a lot of people, and they're just like, you know, this isn't very good. And I was like, oops, you know, I need to work on it some more. Um, and, you know, Phil came in at the time when the game was just really sharp and, you know, fit his product line. And it just, um, you know, I really like working with Phil. We've had a really good uh, working relationship. So um, it worked out just for the best. Okay, Phil, um, when you talk about this, the old way of sitting on a game and getting back to the designer and now how it's changed, why don't you elaborate on that and kind of what's happened here with Farmageddon? No problem. Uh, I'm part of the Board Game Designers Guild of Utah, just as a quick background on that. I am also a game designer myself, and it's been, uh, or part of that process of being in the guild is helping each other understand, the new, help new members understand that if you send out a game, you're going to have to wait a long time. You need to be patient. Well, that is changing thanks to Kickstarter, and that's one of the reasons that I started Fifth Street is thanks to Kickstarter, I can go straight to the public and ask them, hey, is, would you be interested in this? Um, and if they are, we can get it turned around within a month or two after funding, uh, provided something like Chinese New Year doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Um, and it's it's a it treats the designer with more respect. It um, it is more respectful of their time, and it, it's just a better process all around. I think, and it's I think we're going to see a lot of a lot more fast turnaround like that as smaller publishers start coming up and are more agile. Are we going to see a dilution and a overall reduction in quality? That just I mean, is there are we going to have a lot of crap out there? Yes, I think so. Uh, there, that just comes with the territory. There's always going to be shovelware um, with whatever the platform happens to be. But the ones, the the good, consistent product always rises to the top. Dice Hate Me with Viva Java, Tasty Minstrel Games with any project they they come out with. The the good stuff consistently comes out and rises to the top. And sure, garbage will come out occasionally, but it it will start waning away uh, as the process continues, I think. Okay. So you're coming out with this on on February 1st is when this project launches. How long is the project going to last for? It's going to last for approximately a month, and between 29 and 31 days okay. is uh, what we're shooting for. 29 to 31 days, and you're looking at five, about $5,000, is that what you said? Correct, $5,000. Okay, $5,000. Farmageddon, is this a card game, dice game, board game? Grant, what do we got here? Farmageddon is a card game. Okay. So it's a card game to uh, – so this $5,000, help somebody understand what this $5,000 pays for. I'll go ahead and take this one. Uh, what, it, what it'll pay for is – the, if we hit goal exactly, it'll cover uh, 1,000 copies being printed and shipped from the manufacturer and then shipping all of those copies out to the backers of the project before even looking at conventions or going to distributors. And then there will be about four to – no, that will eat up about 350 copies, and then there will be about 700 to 700 – no, 650 to 700 copies left to 
sell at conventions and to local retailers, that sort of thing. There's a rule that you never try to do math live in an interview. That's, <laughs> the, that's one of the rules. Uh, okay, so those six hundred, so you get five thousand dollars, and you're going to end up with about six hundred and fifty copies to get to get out there. Um, is is Kickstarter then change? So what's next? What's uh, how do you then follow up on that? Uh, does Kickstarter? I guess I'm trying to ask is that you're going to have this game because this seems like a very small number. Normally, when you talk about print mm -hmm. runs, you, people are talking about two to 3,000 uh, unit print run, and you've got yourself, uh, after you get the, the promotions and the giveaways of Kickstarter, you're looking at 650 copies. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that sustainable? Uh, are you able to do it that way? Um, for the Salt Lake market, yes. Um, there's a ridiculous number of game stores in the area that since I'm a local guy and just well entrenched in the game industry. Just about everybody related to board gaming knows my face from running conventions and stuff. I can I have good relationships with everyone. I can go in and work more directly with uh, retailers and then convention sales as well. I'll be doing that as part of the circuit. I'm treating it more kind of like a webcomic almost in that so, regard. And in this case, you're able to do this because you're going to because I'm looking at 650 copies. Uh, that all takes money, everything you're describing, the web conventions and things like that. But it sounds like because this is part of a growing stable of products, you're able to defer or offset that cost a little bit so that Farmageddon isn't having to carry the burden of you being in attendance and you doing all this work yourself. Exactly. If it were only one title, I, I, it wouldn't work. But since I'm going to have three and later more, because this is, this is my career, this is, this is it. Um, it, it exactly what you said. More games carry the burden instead of just hoping one is will pay out at Gen Con or something. Right. And what what's the price point on Farmageddon? Uh, retail is going to be fifteen, but if you back through Kickstarter, it'll be twelve dollars. Okay. What is this? Uh, what does Farmageddon compare to? What other games are out there at that price point and that? Uh... I, theme's not the right word because there's not a whole lot of uh, card-based farming games out there. So, uh, kind of, <laughs> where does this drop in? Uh, you know, there's a uh, I think Bonanza, which is one of the popular farming uh, card games, is uh, about twenty yeah. something. No, that's fair. Yeah, you're right, Bonanza. Um, yeah, yeah, my uh, good friend of mine designed a game that's published by uh, GameRight called Gubs, and that's about eleven, twelve dollars, and that's you know about a seventy-two deck of cards. Um, so, and, and it's about cards too. What's that? Say that, mm -hmm. Phil? Oh, that does have attack cards, too. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I guess I was wrong. I guess there's a plethora of farming combat games out there. Well, well, Cubs isn't really a farming game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's not a ton of farming games. I mean, I really like the theme. To me, it's, it's broadly accessible. I think it's really humorous. Um, you know, the cards pretty much name themselves. You know, the cards are crop insurance, crop rotation, farm futures, bumper crop. Um, Dust Bowl, you know, it's, it was really easy to come up with good, clever names that made sense within the game uh, due to the theme. And, um, and you know, it's one of those, because not a lot of people do it, you know, because people are always going after orcs and spaceships, it was, it was easy to try to make something a little uh, more special with Brett's art just because Brett's so good at taking something and making it look great. Well, I know that in my case, and I'm speaking from an audience of one, that this is a game that is, has high interest at our family because I have five daughters we're not into orcs and, and wizards and that type of thing, but we are into, not necessarily are we into pigs and cows either, but, well, except for my, <laughs> my, 
my six-year-old is, but that's not what we're talking about here. But this gives us a nice, uh, family-friendly, enjoyable game that we can uh, we can play. Uh, and so I can see how this would uh, this would easily fit. And then the last thing, we've only got a few minutes here. I wanted to address one other issue that has nothing to do with your game, but the fact that Phil, you're in, in Salt Lake City, and Grant, you're in the Bay Area, right? Yes, sir. Tell me why I know the answer, but I need you guys to tell me the answer. These are two hotbeds for game development and for Kickstarter development. Because if you go on Kickstarter, you're going to see the San Francisco Bay Area and you're going to see Salt Lake City as these two extremely active communities for Kickstarter and board games. What's going on there? We'll start, let's, Grant, let's start with you. Sure. Um, well, I work for Electronic Arts, which is, I think, currently the second biggest game developer on the planet. Um, our headquarters are located here in Redwood City. Um, down the street, you have Sony Entertainment America. You have Activision, which is the biggest. Um, you know, you also have Google, Facebook, Apple. So you just have nerds everywhere within a sixty-mile radius. Right, and that's um, a good. That's a good point. I ran into. Uh, I ran into the creator of Matt Leacock, the creator of Pandemic and Forbidden Island. Oh uh, yeah. Just I just ran into him in the awesome. parking lot the other day, just going to the game store. Yeah. So I can understand. I, I would probably go find my copy and have him sign it. I would just kill myself if I met. Matt Leacock, he's so great. <laughs> he's just down the street. It's not hard. I know. I know. <laughs> okay, so that's a that's a good that's a good uh, input. So uh, we've got a lot of and and there is a direct correlation between technology and technology uh, industry type people and board games, right? There, uh, there's just a it it's too it's too strong of a correlation to be coincidence. Yeah, I mean, I think people who are creative and inquisitive enough. To sit down and read a set of rules to understand it, you know, gather a social gathering of friends, because um, it's it's definitely, I think, arguably more difficult to play a board game than a digital game. But the people who like it, um, which I include myself, and in, I just think it's far more rewarding. It's a it's a social experience and it's a game, um, and it's just, it's really rich. And I think that you know, people in the Bay Area, you know, nerds like that stuff. You get to okay. try a new experience constantly. Okay, and. Uh... Phil, what's your answer? Why is Salt Lake City in Utah such a hotbed? And we're talking a hotbed. I'm, on one of my shows, I'm going to bring up the statistics that I have compiled about the type of stuff that happens in Utah that is unique anywhere in the country. So what's going on there? Uh, well, we have two things going on. One, we have a ridiculous saturation point for board gaming. We have 20-plus hobby game stores in a, a city that has a, like a million and a half people tops including Provo, and every one of those stores is doing fine. None of them are struggling. So there are lots of gamers, and we have a growing entrepreneurial community as well. Uh, so not just board games on Kickstarter, but fashion, or I'm, one of my friends just launched and was successful with a watch line on Kickstarter. Just all sorts of crazy things, and it's a good side project to do with how busy life is, and it fits into the culture fairly well, I'd say. I, I should jump in that Electronic Arts just opened the studio in Salt Lake. Oh, there you go. Well, there's a correlation. We're going to see. I, I'm waiting for, honestly, I'm waiting for something like a Gen Con or an Origins to, to realize that they need to hold some, a, a, an event of that nature in Salt Lake City simply because... Uh, yes, it's kind of isolated, but holy cow, there are a lot of board gamers in that area. I can, I can actually speak to that. Um, I, was, I am one of the former founders of SaltCon, which is a winter board game convention that runs over President's Day weekend. 
uh, every year, and our attendance is up to about 500, 500 people, and it's growing. And it also is home to a game design competition and that people can come and try and uh, get people or get companies like Fred, myself, uh, Mayday Games uh, in the past to look at your titles and possibly win the Ion Award as well. So. It's coming along. It's coming along. Well, gentlemen, I want to say thank you. We're out of time. Thank you very much for sharing with uh, with us on funding the dream. Your the launch of your project, Farmageddon. It's one of the I right here. I will back the project. I'm looking forward to getting my copy. Thank you so much. Well, it's it's a great game. I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to have a copy of it. Okay, uh, Phil Grant. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to Funding the Dream. Uh, Game Whisper podcast for Kickstarters. I've been joined by Grant Rodiak and Phil. I, I can't get it right, Grant and Phil Kilcrease. And we hope that you've been inspired, that you enjoyed what you've been listening to. Now it's your turn. Go out, find your passion, and fund your dream. And we'll look for it on Kickstarter. You've been l- listening to Funding the Dream, and take care. <laughs>